Welcome to the 52nd episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports writer Rusty Simmons. Warriors fans probably remember Rusty for his time covering Golden State from 2009 to 2016. Now, after a couple years on the Cal beat, he's back helping out with Warriors coverage. After Golden State's routed the Clippers Sunday night at Oracle Arena, I sat down with Rusty. We'll have our conversation right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rusty Simmons and I chatted in Oracle Arena's lower bowl after what was the Warriors' final regular season game at Oracle Arena. Rusty, we're here uh, right off of the court here at Oracle Arena. There's confetti all around us. Uh, We're about an hour, a little over an hour removed from one of the more interesting games of the season, obviously the the Warriors' final regular season game at Oracle Arena after 47 years here. Um, it was a pretty eventful night. It was. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you knew it was going to be somewhat eventful just because of, uh, you know, all that goes into this being their last regular season game at Oracle. But um, they they come out, Steph unveils the, the We Believe jerseys, which was a really cool moment. And then they go out and – play one of their better games of the season completely destroy the a pretty good clippers team in the third quarter win by 27 uh, very convincing win to lock up the number one seed um, and also in doing so you knock clippers down to the number eight seed the clippers only have one game left against the jazz so it's looking like there's a really good chance that they're going to be playing the clippers in the first round what do you what do you what do you think about that matchup compared to the other possible matchups which are Oklahoma City and San Antonio yeah I think it's a good matchup for the Warriors uh, for a number of reasons one the travel is way easier than trying to get to San Antonio or Oklahoma City Um, it keeps you away from the venom of Oklahoma City that Kevin Durant would have to deal with in going there Uh, and then also the matchup I think is better for the Warriors at this point the Warriors are not thinking about first rounds right they're thinking about making a long run through middle of June and you want a series where you're not physically getting beat up in the first round. That's exactly what the Clippers series would be. Um, they don't have a bunch of big guys that are going to be in there banging with anybody. Right. Uh, and, and, so, and you saw it tonight. I think the Warriors would feel really, really comfortable in a series like that. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine, Andrew Greif, who, covered, who does a great job covering the Clippers for the LA Times before the game. And we both agreed that if this is the first-round matchup, it'll probably be a situation where it's like a tight five-game series, All right. yeah. maybe even four. Yep. But it'll it'll take some energy to get those four or five games because, like you said, they're really tough. You, you have Patrick Beverly, who did not play tonight, who has always been a, a menace for the Warriors. Uh, Lou Williams is – as tough against the Warriors as any player in the league. He's had some yeah, a 50-point game against them last season. You know he's going to go off. Montrez Harrell's tough. Um, they have a lot, a lot of good role, role guys. And, you know, they're – they have nothing to lose. You know, they're, they're the underdog. They're really well coached. Um, I have no doubt in my mind the Warriors are, are, are going to win that series if that's the case. But, you know, 
at this point, it's all about preserving as much energy as humanly possible when you're chasing a three-peat, something that is very hard to do. I do honestly think that the travel aspect is important. What do you think? As someone who covered the league longer than I have, how how big is that? I think it's huge. And I, I know during the regular season, the, the travel is much more arduous than it is during the playoffs. In the playoffs, you go to a city, you're there for a couple of days to acclimate, play a couple of games in that city before you go home. Um, but I still think it's a big deal. Uh, when you're flying across the country, when you're changing time zones, that, that takes its toll on the guys. Um, and you, you see that. Uh, L.A., Portland, either one of those, obviously that wouldn't be the case. It's a quick flight. Um, and, and we heard Stephen Curry talk about that after the game. You know, even a guy like that who uh, isn't usually thinking about those kind of things has said, yeah, I mean, L.A., obviously, you, you want to you be off the plane as long as possible. Uh, think about the guys who are dealing with lingering injuries, uh, Iguodala, Livingston, all those guys. Time on the plane is swelling on all those injuries, right? right? right. Like it, It's a miserable time getting – uh, on and off planes, being on the planes, getting on and off buses. Uh, so the the, mo- the more you can avoid that time in the air, more you can avoid uh, transferring planes, transferring buses, that, that's that's all better for, for a run that you're trying to do for the third time in a row to go late into June. Yeah, I also think that it, there's kind of a mental aspect to it. Um, as you know, anyone who follows the league knows almost all these guys have some sort of tie to L.A. They either have a summer house there they have a lot of friends there they have places they like to go they have they have their spots all almost all these guys spend some segment of the summer every summer in LA and I think just that comfortability when you're going to be there for four or five days at a time I think I think that helps too I think I I, I don't I don't think that 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 Warriors fans should hear that and be worried that that's going to lull them into some false sense of security and make them more apt to lay an egg i think i think it's good for them to be mentally in a good place throughout these first couple series as you're getting you know getting on in the playoffs yeah yeah i I agree with that 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 it can work that way um i guess the fear of that would be yeah that do you get too comfortable um the warriors are good for at least one absolute meltdown in la a year because it is comfortable because a lot of the family travels with them that's where their focus is they go on shopping trips you know what i mean um so that that, i guess there is there is some of that's usually the lakers though that's right right. (laughs) they always lay an egg at staples against the lakers because they don't take the lakers seriously because they've been bad uh this is specifically i'm talking about pre-lebron lakers um but no, I, I hear your point though. I, I I don't see that being an issue in the playoffs though. And yeah, that's that's the thing I was gonna say. And I don't see it often being an issue with this team. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, Coach Kerr was talking about the need to get on the road, the need to yep. get away and to spend some time with with each other within the locker room, um, extended time in the locker room, extended bus rides. Um, and so a, a lot of times this, that can help you kind of focus when you're away from things. Um, so. I, I don't think this team is, is one that they're so playoff tested. I don't think they're one that you have to worry about their focus all that much. It's right. They can go to any city and, and do it, uh, but but an L.A. flight is a lot easier than all the other ones. So, Rusty, I'm pretty sure most of our listenership is probably familiar with you. Obviously, Rusty was my predecessor on the Warriors beat. Uh, c- covered them for eight seasons, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Um, and and uh, you know, until the the last two that I covered when they were in the finals, I covered a lot of teams that were mathematically eliminated by the All Star break. Um, it's a different beat these days. It, it's uh, the attention that's on it uh, is unbelievable. H how long the season is. Uh, we're talking about the players trying to deal with load management. Um, and, yeah. and you're you know what this yeah. is like now. Uh, you're on the road all the time. You don't see the cities. You see the airports no, and the arenas yeah. and on to the next place. Um, it's a grind. It's a grind. For sure. It's a fun grind, though. It is. It's a, I always say I'd, I'd much rather this than, than cover an irrelevant team. Because, right. you know, the thing about the NBA is regardless of who you cover, it's going to be a grind. Um, and I, I, I can't help but feel bad for those beat writers who are covering teams that have no chance of winning anything and they still have to wake up at, you know, 4 a.m. for that 6 a.m. flight and, and be there and do all this work and for teams that a maybe aren't that interesting and b people maybe don't care about. So I always, I always keep that perspective and, uh, I don't, I don't forget that. Um, but the, you know, one thing that was interesting, you know, I'm glad we were able to get you on the pod tonight because there were a few things that happened tonight that were parallels to the era that you covered. Um, and one thing that I thought was really interesting was that, uh, Steph wore the Monte Ellis jersey to the last regular season game at Oracle. Um, you know, the average Warriors fan has some some idea of what the background story is. What can you kind of just flesh out what that that what that background story is and what the significance you thought of him wearing that tonight was? Yeah, I thought I thought it showed a lot of growth um, in in Stephen Curry because uh, when Monte Ellis. Uh, address the media for the first time after uh, Steph got drafted, he said, we can't play together. We can't win together. We can't play together. It's impossible. Uh, it turned out he was right. Yeah. But it, it was so shocking. Media days are usually days of hope and everything's great and we're going to win a championship, right? And, and he came in just saying, no, there's no chance. This isn't going to work. Um, and for a couple years, it became obvious that it wasn't going to work. And uh, Monte Ellis was not one of those kind of veteran players who took the young guys in under his wing, right? Like he, he didn't, he wasn't doing any favors for Steph. He wasn't teaching him any of the ins and outs. Um, so there was a, there was a lot of, in that relationship that, that needed to be mended. Um, and, and so I thought that showed something from Stephen Curry tonight that, that uh, he at least appreciated what Monte meant to Oakland, to the Warriors franchise, um, and that he wanted to give him that nod. And, uh, and Monte reached out to him on Instagram too, which I thought was cool. Um, because I, as far as I know, I, I don't think they've stayed in contact at all no, and don't, don't, don't have think they ever much really of had a relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so to me that, that showed, that showed some strides there. Um, and it, it was remarkable to me cause it made me think back out about everything that happened between those two, that, um, the teams, the team was always better when one of them was off the floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steph had a lot of injuries during those times and Monte would go through runs where he was great. Uh, Monte had some injuries and Steph, it, the end of Steph's rookie year, they're down to six players. Nelly called them Curry's boys, and they yeah. were they were fantastic. It was a great thing to watch. Um, and then when the trade comes up for Bogut, uh, the Warriors were at that point. Stephen Curry's ankles were shot. They didn't know yeah. who he was, and they basically said, "Milwaukee, you can have either one of the guards. We just got to get rid of one of them, and we yeah. want Bogut in return." And and just think of how different this franchise would be if Milwaukee chooses Stephen Curry instead of Monte Ellis. Yeah, and that brought all those memories back when you see him wearing that jersey, right? Well, it was Steph really on the table with Absolutely. that Milwaukee trade? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, they talk about that um, all the time. That so Larry Riley uh, and Bob Myers had a lot of great relationships in Milwaukee, and they were going back and forth. They wanted Bogut. They wanted to right. change the franchise. They wanted to be big at every position. They wanted to be defensive sounded. Uh, 
sound defensively and and so that's what they wanted. They wanted to go get Bogut, and and they knew they needed to get rid of one of the guards. They just didn't know which one. And they, they was it not super clear at that point who it was should be. It wasn't because uh, one Stephen Curry wasn't near the player he is yeah. now, right? But also, and he was had the ankle. He was going. He was going back in for the second ankle surgery, and so nobody knew. Not only that he wasn't going to become an MVP, but nobody knew if he could play, mm-hmm. if he could walk, right? So uh, it was a, it wasn't clear. And Monte was playing some of the best ball of his life at that point. Um, I think he had, after they won in Sacramento before the trade, I think he had them within three games of, of being an eight seed. So that, yeah. And back then, that meant something to the Warriors. Yeah. They were in a race. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was unclear which way the Warriors wanted to go. And, and from everything I've always been told from from that, from Joe Lacob, Bob Myers, Larry Riley on that, they basically left it to Milwaukee to decide which guard they took, and, and they took Montellus. Was Larry Harris the GM there? Not at that he, point. He, he was a consult. Yeah. It was a he scout was, with the, right. with the Warriors exactly at that point. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I've always kind of found Monte Ellis's legacy with the Warriors interesting because I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I know what it is now, but I guess as someone who wasn't around the team when he was with when he was on the Warriors. Um, what do you think it should be? Because right now it seems like his legacy is he'll. Warriors fans will look at him as kind of the last, you know, tied to the mediocrity mm-hmm. and as the guy who, by getting rid of him, opened the door for the Warriors to become the Warriors. Because obviously it wasn't just Steph. It was, it, you know, freeing up more minutes for, for Clay to become Clay, And then obviously adding Bogut, who was a really key defensive guy. That trade was probably the most important trade in franchise history. And... You know, it's interesting because this is a guy who had some really good moments with the Warriors, was a franchise guy. Um, so how do you look at it? And, and that trade let them tank the rest of the season so that they were able to hold on to this number seven pick and get Harris and Barnes um, right. and luck out and get Draymond Green. Right. And nobody knew what he Position was going to Position for become. the 35th pick in the second yeah, round, which yeah. ended up being pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it absolutely changed the franchise. Um, I, I think – Monte Ellis will always be beloved by Warriors fans for a lot of reasons. One, uh, he was small in stature and played hard, and I think a lot of fans relate to that kind of thing. Um, plus, he was their own. He came out of high school, right? This was the only, late second round pick. Yeah, this was the only friend. He was he was the Warriors player. It, he was the, the the this he was their guy. He Even came, though he's from Mississippi, kind of represented some of that Oakland. Great, for great, sure. Great grind, for sure. And, and yeah, and the way he went about it, that oftentimes he was the littlest guy on the floor and he wasn't backing down from anybody. He was going to the rim and, and doing his thing. Um, and there, there's always going to be an element of people who think that, look, somebody's going to score 20 points on every bad team, right? There has right. to be somebody who does that. Um, but he did, it in, he did it in a flashy way. He did it in a way that, that people could relate to. Um, and I think it goes along. Like, I think you see a little bit now, even with guys like Kevin Durant, who are here, who you hear all the time, like maybe the Warriors fans haven't totally accepted him because he's not one of the, he wasn't drafted by the franchise, you know? Um, and, and Monte was, he was their guy. He developed here. Um, his best years were here. And so I think that makes, and, and he played every night when the team was really bad. Like right. that never stopped his effort. Um, and so I think, I think the fans will always relate to that. And, um, you know, things couldn't have worked out better from from trading him and, and as you mentioned, opening the door for Steph, opening the door for Clay Thompson, um, keeping a couple of picks that became very important. But uh, people will always remember how hard he played. And um, I remember that, that they always thought that, you know, at that point, 
there was no idea of having four or five All Stars every year. There was right. trying to get one in the game, right? right? And, right. and he was and he almost made it one or two year years, after right. year, yeah. And um, there was always that argument of do you look at the stats or the wins, and you know, can a can a player who's putting up huge numbers on a bad team go to the All Star game? And um, so for a lot of ways, he he represented hope. He was he was the last holdover from the We Believe team, and represented hope from where for where the team was going to go and uh it never panned out the way that, that people wanted but but i think people will always love him here yeah i mean obviously the famous you know boo booing of joe lacob i mean that it, it's it's crazy to even think about that but that just showed how much this fan base loved monty ellis and i guess you know i don't know if a decision on this is a, has been made or how much they've talked about this do you think monty ellis should have his jersey number retired it, by the Warriors? By the Warriors. No. Oh, no. 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 Is that not – that's not even something that should be discussed? I mean – No. I'm 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 of the belief that if you're not in the Naismith Hall of Fame, which is the easiest Hall of Fame in the world to get into because they take the best high school players, best college players, best international players, but, you know, uh, best coaches, best officials – um, if, you, if you had any impact in basketball at any level, you find your way into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Monte Ellis is not sniffing the Naismith Hall of Fame. Yeah. So how can he have his number retired? Right. I, I personally feel like someone like Baron Davis maybe should. Okay. Just because you have the fact that he was the leader of that. Of one good team. Uh, yeah, but it was a really important team. It was. It was. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and, and maybe as free agency happens more and more where there aren't going to be a ton of Kobe's and Tim Duncan's and Stephen Curry's who play their whole career in one one place. Um, yeah, maybe maybe a one year guy can earn that kind of. Yeah, I guess he really was only on the team for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that almost never happens. But but you're right. I mean, you see tonight the way that the fans and and even the players react to we believe the yeah. the, the electricity that that team created. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even know if you were to, but if you were to take a guy off of that team to retire his jersey, it would be Jason Richardson, right? Probably just got, because of because he's meant more to the actual yeah. franchise. Um, yeah, it would probably be Jason Richardson. I, Baron Davis was really the leader of that team. Absolutely, yeah. Or Stack Jack, you know. Um, Baron Davis was the best player on that team for sure. Um, oh, and we're missing the obvious one. The the, the person who's going to get a retirement banner is Don Nelson off that group. right. So as he should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they need some sort of represent. Or representative in the Raptors yeah, that's for right. sure. That's right. That's right. And and how you do it? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll just take Dirk's dent in the wall and bring that over, and that that'll be the representative. I think they are doing that, they aren't they? Are? they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe that'll be how uh, it's always remembered. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, tonight was a great reminder. Uh, I feel like no matter what the warrior, what this era of Warriors achieves, that we believe team. I don't want to say Warriors, it'll mean as much to Warriors fans, but it, it feels like it's in the same stratosphere for sure. It's so interesting because every there, there's stuff all the time that harkens back to it. Like even when it gets loud in here now, yeah. you'll you'll see the tweets or hear the mentions of, well, it's not it's not we believe loud. I mean, Steve has said that. Yeah, you know, yeah, because he was um, calling that game six and and what that team did to. They made late season trades uh, and won 16 of 21 games to finish the season just to qualify for the playoffs um, and to knock off a number one seed with the MVP. Like 
to break to break what was it 14 15 year uh, yeah, hiatus from yeah. the playoffs so um that will always mean something to to this play now what's going to the chase center is a team that goes to the finals every year and it's just expected right. right so so maybe it won't be remembered the way it is but in this building in oracle um that we believe team um will always be held in high esteem and when when steph you know took off his warm-ups and showed everyone the uniform tonight for me it was like oh yeah of course like they have to wear those uniforms tonight. <laughs> like like it would almost would have been wrong if they had it. And I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about it until they actually did it, but you know, it was the perfect way to go out. Um, I thought, and, and it, the cool thing was it sounded like it was a player driven idea. I think Steph had a big, big say in, in them doing it, which just shows, you know, the pulse they have on, on what the fans want and what matters. Because I think as you kind of alluded to that, team that we believe team connected with this fan base mm-hmm. specifically like there was there was a a relationship there that can never be replicated and uh to kind of give it back to the fans was was pretty cool and also they're pretty cool uniforms they were yeah yeah as, <laughs> as Draymond said at the end of his line and it doesn't hurt that they're dope uniforms right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's right and it's funny that you say when you saw him reveal it that you said oh of course that was my exact reaction and then I kind of beat myself up for why didn't I think of that I didn't, like, yeah they the Warriors got so much right tonight from yeah. the uniforms to Rick Barry Sleepy Floyd Mo Spates being in the building they got so much right tonight um, but to me the, the the fact that they got this done with the uniforms was was right on and and uh, we should say that the NBA helped out with this a lot, too. You know, a lot of times when teams are trying to break out a new uniform, it literally takes years to yeah. get the approval. And for this to happen in a couple months and for Nike to jump on board, who had never right. made the We Believe uniforms, for them to jump on board and get this done, um, it, it took it took a lot of people to, to make it all happen. And it worked out because it, it was exactly right. It was an of course moment. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was, it, it, you know, the cool thing too was just seeing what jersey uh, the players chose to wear. Obviously, we talked all about Steph wearing Monte Ellis, which I just thought was really interesting. And then, you know, Draymond wearing Matt Barnes, who was a good friend of his from the championship team a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of cool seeing who they choose to pick. And, you know, Steph's been wearing those jerseys now for over a week or so, and he's born Andres Biedrins. He's born, you know, Draymond's born J- Jason Richardson, who, you know, is also a fellow Saginaw, Saginaw guy. Uh, so it's just, I, I find that stuff interesting. Yeah. You know, it shows you a little sneak into sneak peek into what they care about and what their personal affiliations are. And it's interesting because Steph was trying to hint at this We Believe thing for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. For the last five home games he wore jerseys of past players and he aimed to wear five we believe jerseys but draymond stole his jason richardson jersey yeah. so he had to move in a tim hardaway one there shortly right so we should have picked up on this and known that it was going right. to be Mateo he also had a comment earlier in the season that was basically the one mistake we we made is that we haven't brought back the we believe jerseys yeah. uh because they they have like you know the the run TMC jerseys. Right. Uh, they've had the, that kind of stuff, the old city jerseys. Uh, but yeah, he's right. Like that, you should be bringing back. I think maybe I don't. Maybe the higher ups thought it was 
not far enough removed or something like that. It wasn't truly retro yet because it was only 12 years ago. But, you know, I, I, as someone who grew up in the, you know, 90s as a 90s kid, I personally love like the early 2000s, late 90s. NBA gear, like the old, you know, Damon Stoudemire Raptors jerseys sure, yeah, and like yeah. the Vancouver Grizzlies. Like, like I think, you know, the millennials of today love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing it around the league, right? <laughs> like uh, Charlotte got rid of the Bobcats and went back to the old Hornets yeah. jerseys. And um, which yeah. was also like a no brand. It was an of course moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. And it, it feels so much better i mean i never went when they were the bobcats but it feels right going to charlotte and seeing the beehive and seeing their logo because like that that is charlotte yeah yeah and i think that era of when a lot of those expansion teams came in and the jerseys and the colors started getting so cool i think that's when the game really started thriving and, and so the, there is a place i think in, in a lot of fans hearts for all of that that stuff so it's, it's great to see them do these kind of things so uh, you obviously you, – you got to cover the start of this dynasty. I took over right after they signed a rant. So I, I feel like I've kind of covered the second half. Like, like our, our, our tenures kind of broke right at the right time, I think, because this guy, I think the history books are going to look at this as, as two halves of a dynasty in some ways. Um, so as someone who you, – you've obviously been helping me out a lot more the past few weeks, and you're going to be with me throughout the playoffs, hopefully going forward into next season um, – you, what do you think about the current uh, iteration of of this dynasty, and and do you feel like we're witnessing? I don't want to say the end of a dynasty, but do you do you think that we're witnessing what will be, you know, the last year that this is a team that's a prohibitive favorite? Yeah, I do. I do. I think this is the last year of it. Um, I I think a lot of us believe that that the Kevin Durant deal to New York is done already. They're just playing it out. Um, and I think the Warriors, I think we all know DeMarcus Cousins is leaving. Um, and I think the Warriors have big decisions to make about Draymond Green. I think he's right. going to want to start start talking about extension this offseason, even though he's not up for one. Um, and they got to make a decision uh, for a guy whose body's breaking down and, and who needs to play at an insane level of energy and to, to be the player that he is, they've got to start making a decision about whether that makes sense. Um, they they don't think he's a max player. I'm sure he does think he's a yeah. max player. Um, and so they got to start making a decision. Now, it doesn't completely break down the dynasty if they lose those guys, right? right. You still have the greatest I've, I've always said as long game. as they have Steph and right. Clay, they'll be one of the best teams in the league. Right. Right. Will they be what they've been in the past couple of years? Probably not. Right. And, but and, they'll and, be great. And maybe as important is – we think this is Sean Livingston's last year, and Andre's get, Andre Iguodala's getting. I feel really confident close. saying it's Sean Livingston's yeah. last year. He he effectively told me that. So those, I mean, those are a lot of important. On top of the All Star guys, those are a lot of really smart people in the locker room. Guys who are yeah, willing to and Andre's roles. an interesting, you know, question mark too. If they have all this turnover, do you and you're so deep in the luxury tax, right. and he's making so much money, you know, do you want to? Do you want to have him next season? Right. Now, here's the other thing I will say about the Warriors is I didn't see how in the world they were ever going to bring Andre here. 
right? They had to shed terrible yeah. contracts in Beedrance, Richard Jefferson, Brandon that was, Rush. That was the single, I think, most impressive move that Bob Myers ever yeah. made. Yeah. Because it's so much went into it. To get that done, to get those bad contracts off to bring in a free agent, I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic move. And so I always give the Warriors that credit that, okay, from the outside, we're looking at it and we're saying, look, Kevin Durant's gone, DeMarcus Cousins is gone, you got to make a decision on Draymond Green. Right. So what's the front court going to be? Well, the Warriors have proven to us time and time again that they're not going to go out there with a bunch of bums. Right. They're going to figure out something. To, to And we keep hearing about Anthony Davis. And right. Why, why would the Warriors not be in the talks for that? If there's a superstar out there, Joe Lagab is going to have the conversations about it. Right. I mean – at the end of the day, one thing I've learned covering this league is it's all about ownership and it's all about leadership. And the Warriors have phenomenal ownership. They have probably the best GM in the league. They have one of the best coaches in the league. And obviously they have a couple guys we know feel pretty confident saying are going to be around for a long time and Steph and Clay. Um, so they got a lot of pieces. And, you know, you look at every offseason they've had in the past few years and they've always exceeded expectations. You know, the question was, what are you going to do last summer? What are you going to do with that mid-level? Like, maybe Tyreek Evans? That would be great. And then they go out and get DeMarcus Cousins, you know? like, And then, you know, when they're hot, you know, they're putting together that center rotation out of nowhere, David West, out of nowhere, Zaza for less than their market value. In, in David West's case, way less than his market value. Um, I think there's going to be more guys like that. I, th- I think, you know, a guy that could make sense, you know, for this team next season could be like a Rudy Gay. Yep. And that to me would be like a best case scenario because the, it, assuming that KD leaves, you're, you're going to be capped out. You All you really have is a mid-level. I think Rudy Gay, based off what he's done this season at a mid-level, would be phenomenal. I think he'd play really well. I think if you've, uh, if you've noticed, Steve Kerr seems to be a huge fan of him. Um, one of the most, most likable guys in the league and obviously a, a big Team USA basketball buddy of Stephen Curry. So um, anytime you can keep Curry happy, you're probably making the right move. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the – and then you got to go get a center on maybe a minimum. But like we said, I, I think um, there's going to be some dominoes falling. This this is going to be probably the most important summer this team has ever, ha- ever had, which is just an interesting backdrop for this chase because this whole season has felt uh, – it's hard to – it's felt like everyone kind of knows – that things are going to change. And so they're kind of just trying to appreciate the moment, but also know that, you know, you can't let the reality of the situation in terms of knowing that people are going to leave, distract you from what the current goal is. Right. And that's been the, the interesting dynamic that this team has had, because I think if you injected every player in that locker room with truth serum and you asked them, is Kevin Durant leaving? Almost pretty much all of them would say yes. Um, I don't think Kevin's necessarily told anyone directly he's leaving, but I think they all think he's gone. And I think a lot of people think there's a good chance that Draymond's gone uh, for the reasons that you kind of alluded to. Um, So it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be really interesting. Never a dull day. No. And and one of the, one of the great things about covering the Warriors is that not only do they exceed what we think is going to happen during the off season, like they're so creative, right? Like, they wanted Robin Lopez. They were interested in Gasol, and when that stuff dried up, 
they go get Bogut, who I'm not sure many of us even knew was playing in Australia. Right, right. right. Um, and now maybe they've created And he's been great. Yeah. Now he's maybe they've great. created something where they can do this every year. Like, he goes back and gets his part ownership in Australia. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. Why, why not? Maybe. Anything's possible. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's it, – everyone jokes about that light years quote from – from Joe Laco, but the reason that caught fire is because there, he hit on some truth. Yeah. And there's a lot of things behind the scenes of this team that I get to see on a daily basis that you're seeing next level thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm personally really interested in what they do in Santa Cruz and, and the G League. And there's a lot of things they're even doing on that level that the average fan's not even aware of that is just kind of next level thinking and symptomatic of how they operate. You know, I wrote a story a couple weeks ago about this. 18-year-old Serbian guy that they found in Belgrade in some random gym, and they're basically trying to stash him down in Santa Cruz, and he's the youngest player in G League history, and they're trying to play him as little as possible because he's this hidden gym, and they secretly really want him to be their next, you know, one of their building blocks going forward, and they want to make sure that... the word isn't out on him because they want to take him in the second round. And if people actually know how good he is, he's, he's, he's a lottery level, at least late first round talent. Um, but the fact that they're even thinking like that, right. like no one else is even using the G league like yeah, that. Yep. Yep. And I think that's something that we hear from them all the time is that, uh, they're not scared to think big picture or think things that, that seem outrageous to us. Um, Joe Laker wants people to be thinking that, and then he wants them to figure out how to do the outrageous things. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people in this league and, and other sports where it's just like their first reaction is, oh, that can't happen, and they just move on. Right. Well, Lakeup says, well, let's figure out how to make it happen. Right. right. Yeah. It's the whole venture capital yep. mindset. Um, awesome, Rusty. Well, I really appreciate you joining me. It's always fun picking your brain. And, uh, you know, I feel like I learn a lot just talking to you because you've covered – this team much longer than I have, so uh, thanks for ha- for coming on. Sure thing. And you're going to have to explain this to me. There's confetti everywhere. Does that mean they, they won the championship tonight? Is that how that worked? Uh, I don't think they did. <laughs> okay. I think that that might happen in a couple months. So. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Thanks, man. I want to thank Rusty Simmons for joining me on this week's podcast. It's always good picking his brain about past Warriors teams. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.